Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I am your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast, and if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. This week's a little bit different. I've uh, got Matt Payne as a guest, M-P-A-I-N, uh, and he's on Instagram at Glass House Florals, um, and he's a gardening expert. So I'm, I brought him on because I think that uh, as important your the inside of your home is and the outside of your home is also as important, um, especially if you've got a garden, you're probably thinking, this is my first garden, I don't know what to do with it. Um, we had a good chat about all sorts of things, to be honest, um, including things like Japanese knotweed, which I did not have a clue what was that about um but he told us like what to look out for uh how it needs to be treated what the processes are and stuff like that that the fact that it could be very very expensive uh to to treat um if you're not careful so um that was one thing that we spoke about we also spoke about if it if if someone is a complete novice never never done gardening ever ever before what are the kind of tools that you would need uh, if you wanted to get into that, um, we also had a quick chat about things like, um, how gardening is really important, especially if you've got children, uh, and what you can teach them. It's also good for the mind. It's also good for, for the heart as well. It's quite a relaxing thing to do, uh, or it can be quite a relaxing thing to do. Um, but we also, uh, spoke about how important gardens are and, um, you know, how lucky you are if you have a garden, to be honest, you know, and, uh, there's not more, there's not a lot of space in, especially in places like London. London and other cities, you know, uh, but there are uh, roof gardens popping up everywhere. There are uh, ways that you can grow your own vegetables on your balcony and stuff like that. So there's lots and lots of ways that you can be involved with gardening. And um, I talked to Matt all about it. So enjoy this episode. Before I let you go, don't forget there are uh, two exhibitions that are going on in March. Uh, one of them being the Home Building and Renovation Show at the NEC in Birmingham. Uh, I spoke to you last week and told you that it was an amazing um, uh it's an amazing exhibition. I've been there. Uh, they've got lots and lots and lots of um, suppliers there. If you're thinking about uh, buying new windows or you're thinking about doing a loft uh, conversion and stuff like that, it's an amazing uh, show. So definitely go and check that out. Um, there's also the Ideal Home Show, which goes on um, about over 10 days, and that's at the Olympia in London near Earl's Court. So you can go and check that out as well. Um, so other than that, have a uh, enjoy this episode if you do like this episode because it is the first time that we're putting someone on that's uh 
uh, that we've had someone on that, to do with gardening. Uh, if you found it quite helpful, then uh, please leave us a review. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Player FM, um, and uh, Stitcher for Android uh, listeners as well. So, um, yeah, because it's super important. You know, uh, it's the first time that we've had someone on about gardening. We are... Um, uh, we, we we will be having him on again to talk about things like how to implement lighting in your garden and stuff like that. But we'll do that later on uh, in the year. So if you like this, um, then let us know. Um, other than that, enjoy the episode. Have a great week. Speak to you soon. Matt, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good. Let me just jump on the camera as well. Sorry. Oh, there we go. That's great. <laughs> right. Let me just adjust my screen for a second. Yeah. How's things? Nice to, nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. Things are good. Good. Just, uh, frantically getting everything set for, for this morning. So, uh, I love how you picked the background as well. That's perfect. <laughs> I just, to be honest, like I'm at my dad's house cause it's the only place where it's quiet enough for me to do this about being disturbed. So like kind of, yeah. Yeah, 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 perfect. No worries, no worries. No, you'll be surprised. People have like cats running in the background or, you know, someone passing by. So all nice and quiet. Yeah. 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 Not not going to be disturbed. Good. Uh, good. So, uh, Matt, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, it's the first time that we've had anyone related to gardening on Mm. the podcast. And I thought that it goes pretty much hand in hand. With any home renovation, you've always got to think about what it looks like on the outside of your home, whether that's the back garden, front garden, whatever. And I think, you know, as as much as you take care of, um, the house inside, it's also good to, 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 to look at like what you can do on the, on the, on the garden side of things as well. Um, and it's just coming up. It's the perfect time to have you on. Spring is just around the corner if we haven't got it right now. (laughs) Um, uh, you never know, it might snow again. But uh, other than that, um, yeah, I, I think I, first of all, I just want to start off with, as I usually do, uh, introduce yourself um, and just tell us a bit of background about yourself. So my name is Matt, and basically I've been gardening for pretty much the entirety of my life. When I was a child, I was very much sort of thrust into it by my parents, you know, like we're going to the garden centre, you can help me weed the garden, things like that. And I think sort of like for a few years, I was like, oh, I can't stand gardening. I've got these garden centers every weekend. But then it sort of kind of grew into a passion for me. So then I sort of went to study horticulture at college. Um, and I volunteered with the National Trust for quite some time, which was, which was great. Um, mm-hmm. it was a good way to sort of, that was a really good way to build up my knowledge and skills because there were a lot of, I was probably the youngest volunteer there. So a lot of the volunteers were like in their sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, and you, you can learn some real good stuff from like people that have been gardening for 40 or 50 years more than you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then I did gardening for a while as a side business, um, which I really, really enjoyed, but I sort of kind of did, t- didn't step away from it. Because I didn't enjoy it. I did. I stepped away to do something I enjoyed far, far more than that. But I still sure. love gardening, um, and it's still one of like my sort of top main passions, if you will. Okay, cool. And um, and do you? So you educate? Because part of what you were telling me um, when we first spoke is that you you educate other yes. people with. I do, yeah. Explain how you do that. So basically, a lot of it is just through like 
messages, conversation. You know, I have people asking me for tips. Can you come and sure. tell me about what's this in my garden? So many, like, I have messages constantly, people sending me photos, like, what's this? How do I do this? Can you do this? Can you come around and tell me about this? You know, I've done... With the National Trust, we did a lot of stuff for like kids as well, which I think is really, really important. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Teaching kids how to like just sowing vegetable seeds, you know, little bits, little cool little things to try and get them sort of involved in gardening. Because I was just some statistics released recently that something like there's parents that want their children to be able to go outdoors and enjoy stuff and gardening, but the mm-hmm. parents themselves don't know how to garden. So then the children aren't learning to garden and then like sort of the future of, of professional gardeners, if you will, and gardening in itself is it's, 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 it's a rocky patch because most gardeners, if you look at like people in middle aged people and, and sort of uh, an older and there's not very many young people coming through and not really many yeah. like young people excited by gardening. It's, but I think it's due to lack of knowledge and education. You know, people, people think that gardening is this really sort of like stuffy, kind of pastime like really sort of like boring when it actually is not it can be really fun and really interesting to do and it's good for you as well you know it's good for you physically and mentally yeah i i was going to say therapeutically it's quite good right because um it's it's just you know you're watching something grow you're watching things develop around you so it can be quite quite nice to see that and it's an achievement because i mean i remember when my dad used to to garden quite a lot i mean he 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 used to build decking and everything. He'd, yeah. you know, the garden was his pride and joy. And um, to, to to just see things grow, but sometimes that wouldn't happen. They wouldn't take off. And he used to like prune from, from plants and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think as a kid um, growing up and learning that can be quite a good achievement, like to, yeah. to see something growing as well. Yeah, sense of achievement. Plus as well, like, yeah, I think, I think, you know, kids like to just be out in the mud and the dirt and just, just playing it and just being kids, you know, and, and just being creative. And I think like yeah. a lot of stuff in your garden that, that can do that, you know, you've got, obviously you've got your plants, but you've got all your, your, your bugs, your insects, your frogs, you, all those sorts of things that are really cool. And also there's, there's a nice intrinsic link between us and nature, I think. And it's nice to be in and around that when you're gardening as well, you know, put the phones away, electronics down. That's it. Just, yeah. just reconnect, you know, and give yourself, even if it's an hour at a weekend, just pottering about in your garden, it sort of just gives you that really nice sort of um, reconnection, I guess. That's that's the peaceful side of it, I think, for me. What's it's, the, like, just to put you on the spot a bit, but what's, yeah. what's the, the, the strangest thing you've found in a garden? Toothbrushes. <laughs> really? Toothbrushes, yeah. So I was doing a job last year where I was re-turfing a garden for someone who I knew had just bought a house. And when you re-turf a garden, the basics is clear it out, level it off, topsoil turf. As we were clearing it out, it was like, oh, it's a toothbrush. Okay. There's another toothbrush. There's another- <laughs> I think we found about 40 or 50 toothbrushes just, just, that were just thrown in the garden and, and we could, we couldn't figure out. It was obvious from the previous house owner. Yeah. Yeah. We, we couldn't figure out why it was just a garden full of toothbrushes, which was really, really weird, really weird. But that was, that's the weirdest thing I found. <laughs> just another thing whilst I'm thinking about it, like we've got all this issue with plastic now mm. and I'm sure like we, we, we know about the sea and everything else, but with gardens, do you see a lot of that when you're, 
There's lots doing your own. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is with gardening, there is a lot of plastic anywhere. You've got plant pots that you get from yeah. the garden. You've got seed trays, you know, you've got all of this, like all the wrappings, you know, uh, plant tags, they can have plastic as well. And I, I mm. and you tend to find in gardens, a lot of people have planted plants in their gardens and then just left the old plastic pot on it. So then that like breaks down and it's in the, it's in the soil and things like that, you know, and there's, there's a real sort of, thing at the minute about how we can reduce plastic within sort of gardening and also reusing your plastic taking care of your plastic yeah you've got i mean i've got a shed full of plastic pots but i reuse them i clean them i maintain them just so that i'm not constantly you know buying plastic throwing away plastic buying plastic throwing away plastic and you can also buy sort of alternatives as well so like there's like seed trays and seed pots that are made from biodegradable material biodegradable materials i get that one right you can make them out of, you can even make them out of newspaper you know there's if you, if you look on youtube there's tutorials where you can make seed pots out of newspaper that just biodegrade down so there are ways and means around that but if you do have plastic just reuse it take care of it it'll last a long time and you won't have to keep buying it and you can yeah. as well okay well we brought you on because we've got a few questions to ask you and i'm 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 always uh inquisitive about like how how the how gardens work you know and and what the best way is to to build your perfect garden so if how how would i create the garden of my dreams but on a budget okay i think i think first importantly is setting that budget because gardens can wildly go outside of any budget very quickly if you and you've got it you see so you've got to have a set goal in mind to say my garden budget is 5k if that's the budget you've got you've got to stick to that budget and work mm-hmm. around that and within that but also i'd say if you have a smaller budget so if, if money it, it obviously if money is no object and you can have designers landscapers if you can go if you can have everybody do it for you then you can go like hell for leather that's great but if you're not then if you're going to have a patio for instance patios this is something I've come across a couple of times with people. People don't understand having a patio done by a professional costs upwards of £1,500, you know. And I think a lot of people fall down at that because they don't expect it to cost as much. But like paving slabs themselves are very expensive. And then you've obviously got time and labour. It's a great – you have a professional job, but yeah. they're expensive. So I would say if you have a, a small budget, decide where that budget's going to go. What you're gonna, what you're gonna, what the main core of that spend is. So if you want a patio and you've got three grand, probably put that three grand on the patio, and then the rest of it you can sort of work around it. You know, you can uh, reclamation yards are great for gardening stuff. So you can go along. Um, uh, there's a garden centre local to me in Nottingham that has its own reclamation yard, but it's for old garden slabs, patio equipment, benches, the the lot. You know, you could put, you could cut out your nice. garden on a budget. You know. Yeah, um, things like plants as well. Plants can be very expensive. Now, the 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 more mature and large the plant, the more expensive it's going to be. So, right. money saving ideas: you can grow your own from seed, um, which is a good way to get into gardening. But also, a great money. You know, a pack of seeds, two hundred seeds could cost you two pounds. Yeah, but for for a, a plant that's probably two meters high, a feature you could cost you two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's relative, you know, to saving money sort of, if you can grow your own, you get more of a yield from, from seeds and rather than 
splashing cash and buying loads of plants. So if you are going to buy plants, buy small, let them grow. You know, you can, you can get, same as I say, you could, you could spend a lot of money on plants. I've seen people, do, yeah. I've, I've done it myself. You know, you go to the garden saying this, 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 then you get to the, get to the checkout and you're like, that, that's a lot more than I thought I was going to spend today, but okay. You know, obviously if you want a feature plant in your garden and you're willing to spend the money, then go for it, you know, like, but just bear in mind that you can save a lot of money by growing your own plants. Um, I think as well, um, being resourceful, God be resourceful. You know, you've got to, got to get quotes. If you're having work done as well, get quotes, get a lot of quotes because someone might quote you X, someone might quote bottom end, top end, you know, um, but get quotes because you may find that there's a really good sort of medium range sort of contractor, medium but price contractor that, that will do an outstanding job for a lot less money than you thought that you may have to, um, you know, that you, that you may have to, to shell out. So that's always a good, uh, a good way to start with sort of, yeah, having the garden on your budget, um, sort of things like that. Also recycle, upcycle, you know, if you see stuff, there's a big thing about upcycling. I mean, there's programs on the telly, isn't there? Where people go to local tips and they're like, oh, I'll take that off you and I'll make it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You can do that in your garden, you know? Um, if there's like old metal, so if you see it walk past a skip and there's like an old metal truck or bathtub or something like that, you could probably repurpose, you could repurpose that in your garden. You could turn it into a pond. You could turn it into a compost heap around the back of the shed. You know, if you think smart, you can, you can upcycle and recycle things into your garden that will, that will stick within your budget sort of thing. So that's, that's how I would recommend that. What's, what's like, if I have never done one before, you know, and I've got this fabulous garden, I've just bought this house. It's got a nice garden, needs some work to do to it. Mm. What are the, what are the common things that can really end up spiraling your budget out of control? I mean, you've mentioned a couple of the, like, yeah, expensive this and expensive that, but what could be wrong with the garden? that I might not know anything about that could end up costing quite a bit. I mean, you could things have like, you can have Japanese knotweed. That could be, that could be a potential issue in the garden, but it's an issue in a lot of, lot of gardens. And that's very costly, very expensive. And has a lot of like legal ramifications in and around that. Um, okay. If you've got mature trees in your garden that you want to get rid of, that can be very costly. Um, if you're looking at you, you, I mean, I would highly, highly recommend if you do have any trees in your garden, have them removed by a professional. Okay. It's, it, it's, it, if you, if you get it wrong, you're either going to seriously injure yourself or kill yourself or damage your property. So, but bear in mind, if you have a large mature tree in your garden, you want to get rid of, it may cost a few hundred pounds to have it taken away by a professional. But they will do the right job, do it correctly. You know, um, those sort of things can be very sort of costly, um, very expensive to, to be dealt with, especially the knotweed thing, because that's a, it's an ongoing, uh, three to five year sort of removal plan. Um, wow. I mean, you can, you can have it dug out, but that requires deep excavation. That requires, removal of the contaminated soil or putting into uh, um, some form of like waste pit that you that you won't use again because you have to completely eradicate all um, all signs of it or all, all, it will just grow and it will grow and it will grow. Um, and of course, the, thing is not really, the, the crazy thing is what people, I don't think people realize is if you're buying a house, 
it can affect you getting a mortgage, having knotweed on the premises or within seven meters because they cause millions, it causes millions and millions of pounds worth of damage each year by going into foundations, all that sort of stuff like property damage is, is, is phenomenal. House why, why is that? Is it because it's, it's tough? Like it, it can, it just grows. yeah, it just, it will just grow through anything and it will just completely wow. destroy. It's what, it's one of these sort of plants that will just it, blanket everywhere. It will just completely take over. I mean, it, it, but it's actually illegal to let it spread into your neighbor's property if you have it. It, you, you okay. get some civil litigation within that. It's a civil thing, but just to be aware, yeah. if you have it, you've got to get it dealt with because. How can you spot it? Uh, so you can see it in different, different times of year. You're looking for different types of things. So in spring, you'd be looking for sort of asparagus type looking red shoots on the ground. Okay. Um, that, that they'll be springing up. So yeah, so you're just looking for like red asparagus. Uh, yeah. In the spring, you are looking for sort of heart-shaped, um, big heart-shaped type green leaves. Uh, spring and summer, you're looking for the green leaves, the small white clusters of flowers. And then sort of come autumn, winter, you're looking for wilting yellow flowers in, in September time. And then in the winter, what you're looking for is sort of hollow, like, it looks like bamboo, but it's like really okay. hollow and, and like dying back. I mean, what I would suggest is if you think you have it or you not quite sure, get someone to come and tell you, get a professional in to come and have a look because the last thing you want to do is think I've got Japanese knotweed, pay for someone to come in and get rid of it. And then you find out it isn't, you've wasted your money, but also it's, it's, it's good to have it sort of checked over by a professional so you can have it dealt with as quickly as possible as well. That's, that's you me- Okay. So you mentioned that this, that you could end up being in a position where it's, it might not be. So yeah. what are, what's a similarity to, to Japanese knotweed that it might not be then? Um, so it could, it could be any sort. It depends on well, your, it could horticultural- be asparagus. <laughs> yeah. It could be asparagus. Yeah. It depends yeah. on your horticultural knowledge. It could be any yeah. sort of broadleaf hedge or green. Right. You know, okay. you like, that, that's not weird if it's got white flowers on it. You know, I mean, nettles okay. have white flowers on it and brown stems. Obviously mm-hmm. they're different looking, but sure, in, sure. in winter, a nettle and a, a knotweed stem could look similar from a distance. So you could think I've got knotweed and it turns out it's okay. thing in nettles, you know, so it's always good to get that uh, checked over by a professional. Um, does it, does it cost anything to, to have someone come in and just look or is that usually a, f- a free service? It, I think it depends, uh, per okay. contract. factor. Um, sure. I think some offer free quotes, free sort sure. of, and I think some will, it will charge you. I, I mean, I guess it's dependent on the area you live within the country. Fair enough. Suggest is just going online, typing. If you type in Japanese knotweed online, literally you will get company after company pop up that says, get rid of your Japanese yeah. knotweed professionals. And, and these guys, yeah, sure. you need to do it because they are the ones that are licensed to do it, a license to get rid of the waste and also have the, the licenses to deal with the chemicals as well, because that's that's the important thing, and it's good to use a contractor because they're using chemicals. Is they need to be safely, they need to be certified and have the correct licenses to show that they can safely use these these hazardous chemicals in in in, in a in a, a home environment as well. 
especially if you've got like children and stuff. Yeah, like I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what what happens with that process? Is it is it um, something that you can be around whilst the treatment's happening? Or no, I, I I mean, I would I would say yeah, that sure. when it's happening, I would be in the house because the guys will come and they'll have the gear on, and it depends because some of the some of the treatment is injection in the root system, so they'll inject uh, pesticides. Uh, into the roots so that's not too bad but with spraying when they spray on the leaves or any sort any spraying really spraying it's it's good to avoid for a few hours while they're carrying out the work and while it settles down um i would say as well that if if it's too windy they won't probably they won't come out and spray on that day so if they're booked in and it's a very windy day they'll probably move you along because sure can't spray when it won't be as effective, I guess. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Well, it would just blow off into someone else's garden yeah. and cause all sorts of problems. Um, just another thing as well that I've just remembered is if you live near a railway line or your house backs onto a railway line, also just check because it can encroach from the railway line into your back garden. Um, and network rail, I think I should be dealing with it because they've been taken to court previously over not weed going into people's gardens. So okay. Okay. if you live near a railway line, it's always good to just check over the back fence and then sure. network rail, I would assume, and say, I've got some not weed coming into yeah. my garden from one of your railways. And they yeah. should then do that for you, hopefully anyway. Okay. You mentioned about like other things like trees and stuff that mm-hmm. might be in your garden. Um, is there any kind of like rules and regulations that you have to, I mean, you can't obviously just chop down a tree, surely? I mean, so what you're looking for is something called a tree protection order. So you can just go on your local council's website or you can just contact your local council and ask for um, uh, the TPOs for that area, the tree protection orders for that area. Now, if you don't have one yet, you can cut it down. It's on your property. That's not a problem. If you do have a tree protection order, then you cannot cut that tree down by law. It has to stay where it is. And if you cut it down, you can be in trouble. Well, you will be in trouble with the council and sure. it, it can go down that sort of that route. But yeah, tree protection orders are always a really good thing to check out because I believe you can appeal them or you can try to have them overturned, but that's a very long legal process. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure how you would do that. I've never come across in my experience anybody wanting to do that. Um, I think if the tree is dying, damaged or, or rotting, then you can move to have it taken away from your garden but if it's perfectly healthy and it's causing no sort of issues to property or anything else then i struggle to get that tree taken away um but that's why they're there to protect would you, mature trees yeah would you would you know if it's something that's flagged up if someone wants to buy a property mm-hmm. and they'll go through like the list of of the property itself and the history yeah, but is it usually mentioned in there as well? If if you've, I believe when you have your surveys done and things like that, you can find yeah. out if there are tree protection orders in the area. It tends to be more sort of that I've 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 come across them in sort of more rural properties mm-hmm. and sort of larger, more upmarket properties that have like bigger gardens and things. Sure, yeah, they're they're there obviously to protect these. So people have obviously built these big properties in like a nice wooded area, taking some of the trees down that they've moved to keep this one and yeah. maybe one over here. Yeah. You tend to find it's more sort of in your larger rural properties or your larger inner city properties that you have these sort of things. Suburban homes tend not to have them too much unless it's backing onto a green belt area of land perhaps. But 
other than that, yeah. I would say most gardens, most trees would be safe, but always check, always check. On the topic of Greenbelt then, um, it's quite a sensitive subject, I guess, but um, is it something that is um, is being like challenged all the time? Like people are wanting to build on Greenbelt land or how, do, how does that work at the moment? Yeah, I think um, well, HS2 for, is a prime example of yeah, yeah. destroying sort of like just hectares of just like Ancient woodlands, the, the Woodland Trust, by the way, are running petitions and, um, have a lot of good stuff about the, the woodlands that they are wanting to sort of put this train line through, um, and yeah. just destroying ancient na- native woodlands. So that's always, that's something to, to, mm-hmm. to be wary of and to check out. But I think the Greenbelt land thing is, it's easier to build on than brown belt land because they can just cut, flatten it, go build and we're done. Whereas brown belt land has been farmed and, 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 sure. and it's, it, it, there's a lot less profit in it. And I, I feel, I think it's very, very important to protect the green belt land because there is a lot of, there's a lot of land that we use for farming that we don't use anymore. That's, that's been farmed barren. Perhaps there's a lot of unused properties as well. I mean, you see so many unused properties that, that we can, repurpose like reuse even flatten and build back on top of you know we've got space to do it i just feel like potentially people think it's a quicker profit and a quicker bug a quicker buck to just go i'll sell you that green belt land i'll build a um, hundred houses on it there we go jobs are good and, yeah. we're on. and it just sort of we then sort of start to eat and and fill out into the countryside a lot more and i, I think it's something that we should protect you know because it's a lot of we have a large, as, as humans, we have a large footprint as it is. So I think we should try and do our best to sort of not build into the green belt land, reuse what we don't use anymore. You know, like abandoned factories. Sure. Yeah. have gone down just derelicts. You know, you've got the base there, I would assume, for, or at least the footprint of land that you can, you can build on, you know, um, mm-hmm. where I live in Nottingham, there's an old brewery that they've, knocked down and repurposed and built homes around it. You know, things like that, I suppose, would be very good. Rather than building into the, the woods that surround it, they're just going, right, we'll redevelop this and then move on. You know, yeah. I, think, I, think that's Fair probably, point. I think that would be the best way for us to do it and to definitely do what we can to protect the green belt land that we have left, definitely, because yeah. it would fast disappear very quickly to homes and we wouldn't have much left. And then we'd be traveling far and wide to see nature and, you know, yeah. but that's stuff that you can encourage in your garden as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, things like that, you see. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time around. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today. What's a good time of year to, to build a garden? What's a good time? I mean, other than, I guess spring would be a good time, right? It depends. I'd say it depends. It depends on the, on the job and it depends on what you're doing. Um, if, 
So say if you were doing a full landscape and you started in spring, you probably wouldn't be looking, you wouldn't look at getting much like enjoyment out of that garden for that year because obviously it can take a few weeks, you know, depending on weather as well, because even, you know, the great British summertime, we can still <laughs> end up with, with, um, with, with bad weather. Um, the benefits to doing it in spring and summer are that you do have longer days, uh, more, you know, like longer days, nicer weather. Um, but as I say, you probably, you probably, if you started in spring, you'd probably be looking at using the garden the next year fully, you know, with everything, right. um, everything settled. Because also if you have, if you, if you are using plants and you're having plants in your garden, they've got to settle, they've got to grow into it. They've got to, mm. um, you know, set like and, and fill out and fill the space. But if you did it in winter, you can do it in winter. You just got to bear in mind that it may take longer because of the weather. But if you say, if you started your garden in September, ready for spring, you've got more time in that sort of six or so month period. You've got more time to get everything in, get everything settled, all your building work done. But then again, it, like I say, it depends on the size yeah. of the job. If you put in a pond in, you can do it in spring. It'd be great. Sure. And then all the animals, or I would, I would do something like that before spring. So then all the animals can move in. Then they can, okay. and then they can, you know, breed and, and use it as their little springtime sort of home. And then they can work out from there. I think if you, if right. you're trying to incorporate wildlife into your garden, do things like that before spring so they can all sort of, you know, breed and everything. Mm-hmm garden and create a nice ha- habitat for them within that time what um you 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 mentioned like you could start around september um and then go through into the winter mm-hmm. but i'm imagining that there are certain plants that you could buy or um you know like that, that just might not last that first winter because no, it might, I mean, be quite tough if you would if you were doing plant work i would do that in spring always do that right, okay um, because what you tend to find is a lot of your sort of annual plants that only, only last a year will just will only pop up in spring and then by September they're gone again. Some yeah. plants it's good to some good some things it's good to plant in winter like hedges um, and trees and things like that because they're dormant. They're not looking for um, mass growth really quickly you know as if you do it in spring they're going to be struggling because there's so much going on you know you've got other plants other sort of all sorts going off in the garden in springtime that it can be quite difficult for certain plants to sort of grow up in in the springtime whereas if you plant them sort of winter like hedges give them time to settle in get really deep roots and then come spring they can really flower and 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 and, and set forth and sort of give you a few years of good, uh, good, good flowering, good quality sort of plant time as well. Okay. Okay. I'm imagining a lot more people these days are choosing to like grow their own vegetables at home mm-hmm. and stuff like that. What environment would you need to do that? Like it, how, how do you prepare to, to grow your own vegetables? So, I mean, most people just do the, the classic veg plot, um, and yeah. just cut out a, a, a border and then they'll, um plant what they so different times you can plant different things so you know come yeah. winter you're looking at your garlic and your your onions and your potatoes and then come sure. spring, looking at your more leafy sort of like cabbages you know uh rocket things like that so the environment i would say is just any back you could do it anywhere in your back garden you can even do it in your kitchen you can start your seedlings off on your kitchen windowsill uh if you've got mm-hmm. a 
house, you can use that. But any sort anywhere where you've got soil, good soil, you can just dig it over and um, just go from there, really. And if you do your research, you can get it so you can have continual crop rotations throughout sort of the year. So you can have your potatoes going into your cabbages, going into your sure. carrots and so on and so forth. So, for, so, like, so throughout the year, you can have like a constant rotation of, of, of vegetables. But I think it's really good. This is like a rise in allotments as well at the minute. Like the allotments yeah. are coming back into fashion because growing your own and being self-sufficient is becoming more of the uh, like a more of the in thing, which is great, you know, to see people actually doing stuff out. But even if you live in a flat, say in like London, you can grow vegetables on a balcony because you can you can grow you can grow potatoes in a sack. Um and literally, oh, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that. Yeah. So things yeah. like that, or you could have um vertical so you could from from online shopping you can buy sort of square meter by meter pockets that you can put soil in and you can put vegetables in that you could put plants and flowers in that so you know you could put that up on on your balcony on the outside so you could still be very self-sufficient with a balcony space as long as you've got somewhere where you can put soil in a container and put seeds in you can you can do that sort of thing even the um the boxes you can get the window boxes that go along the railings along the outside of of yeah sure you could plant you know you you leaf veg in that so you sort of your your rocket your you you know your rosemary all that sort of stuff you could plant in things like herbs and stuff like that as well. You can even just on your windowsill in in inside oh, yeah. your house, right? So it's definitely, yeah, yeah. You could just have like a nice bank of herbs across the kitchen windowsill that you could grab as you were as you were cooking. Kitchen windowsills are great growing environments because you get you know you get your warmth and your humidity from cooking. You get your light, and obviously it's right by the sink. So if you forget to water it and you wash <laughs> it, you just be like, oh, I have to tuck that up as I go along, and and, and yeah. they sort of grow really well there. So kitchens are really good for. I see. I see, like roof gardens as well that are popping up all over the place. Um, yeah, roof gardens in London. So. Yeah, roof gardens are a great way to use space, especially like also the green roofs where they put like just seed them on top, and it's just I like that. I think that's really good. But yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot of it now, especially in in the urban landscape, like in Milan. I don't know if you've seen this, but they've got high rise flats that have. Uh, trees growing up the outside and they it's 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 the most incredible thing like they basically it's like this urban jungle garden along the outside of this entire block of flats is incredible and they have i think i saw something like that in tokyo yeah but yeah but milan no i didn't yes in europe they've done it in milan and sort of I think I think we're taking a lot from Eastern sort of culture with that. You know, Singapore, for example, I believe they've got the the really tall trees that, that you can walk around, and and then, you know they've got like ecosystems within them and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it's all. I think it's about bringing sort of nature back into the cities now because we sort of spent time pushing it out, and now I was starting to realise now. It's good for us as well, you know. Um, yeah. There are certain issues we have still, like with there was a big thing in Sheffield not long ago where they were cutting down all the mature trees in the city and to talk about then they were going to replace them. But I don't, it's gone from very gone quiet now because I don't know if they are actually replacing them or not. But the point stands is we need to start bringing it back in uh, to the cities so that we can all enjoy it as well, you know, and it, it creates plants are great for us. Well, yeah. people forget that, you know, if it wasn't for the plants, we wouldn't be here. So, of course, yeah. And even to bring them, bring them in your home, bring them in your garden, bring them in the city, it's really good for us to, to, to just sort of bring that back. 
Um, how do you plan a new garden? Like, I'm looking at it and it's completely terrible. Like, I wouldn't know where to begin. How do you plan that? So I think the first thing you need to be doing is what think the, the first question you need to ask yourself is what do I want to use this space for? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a property developer and you want to just buy and sell, just lawn it, get it on. Because if someone's buying a blank canvas garden, it's much better than going into a garden that's overgrown. You know, so if you, if you just buy into resell, clear it, it, just clear it down to lawn level and then whoever buys it from you for their family can then they can then deal with that you know if that's what you're doing buy and resell just clear it and then you're good if you're planning on living in the house you've got so yeah so you've got to ask yourself what am i using this space for do i want to entertain in this garden do i have children do i want them to play in this garden you know um do i want it to be low maintenance high maintenance so really the first idea is what do i want to use this space for that is the key because i think if I think if a lot of a lot of people go, oh, I need to do this garden, but I don't know what what I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do, and and they kind of get themselves very bogged down and very sort of overwhelmed by the fact that they're not sure where to start. And I think if you just start off with, what do we want to use it for? Then you can go from there. So you know, if you want to entertain in your garden, you're looking at maybe a large patio area with seating, lighting, somewhere for the barbecue. You know, if you've got a young family or you've got a lot of relatives who have got children, you know, like a lawned area adjacent to that. So you've got your patio and then your lawn so the kids can play. You know, if you're a young professional and you're wanting a low maintenance garden, I wouldn't go heavy with the flowers. I would just either turf it, patio it, deck it. And a lot of people use artificial grass now, which is you know, a, a good alternative if you definitely don't have green fingers and you do not want to do any gardening, just out uh, just after. Yeah. Although there's a lot of good sort of fake alternatives on the market now um, that do look really like genuinely like, like actual yeah. grass. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. But yeah, same as I say, it, it's all about learning and, and, and working out what you want that space for, you know. And if you do want plants but a low-maintenance garden, try and find plants that will self-seed and then will just get by on rainfall alone, you know, mm-hmm. so you don't have to go out and water it every day and, you know, prune and cut back and things like that. You know, you can just find perennial plants and, and annual plants and even evergreen shrubs that will just grow, live live off whatever rainfall they get, and you might need to cut prune them maybe once every year or two you know so real maintenance type things but that's where i would start like what do you want to use it for do you research get some inspiration you know visit some gardens you know there's loads of like the national garden scheme if you if you you google that there's loads of people's gardens you can go and visit that they just open it to the public and you can just walk around and you can gather inspiration from that you know or yeah if you like a particular style of gardening you know i i my favorite types of gardens are Japanese gardens. So I take a lot, I would take a lot of inspiration from looking at Japanese gardens and things like that. Whereas some people might find that tropical gardens are more up their streets. They go somewhere like Kew and they'd walk around Kew gardens and sure. yeah. take inspiration from the palm house, for example, and just like the big green foliage. You know, you can take inspiration from anywhere, but it is all about that. But also, 
put your own spin on it. Be creative. If you're going to design your own garden, make it a piece of you because then I think, one, you'll be happy with the outcome because it is part of you, but two, also it's, it's your own unique sort of take on what you wanted your garden to be, which is, I would, I would say is a good thing because when, when we decorate interiors and when we, when we renovate properties, we do it to our tastes and, and a piece of us, you know, and, and what we, yeah. think we, you know, what we think we would want our house to look like. So you can mm. stop that off into the garden. And if you make it part of you, you'll enjoy it more and it'll be more satisfying. And you'll enjoy the space as well. Cause that's the key. Once you've done it, you've got to enjoy the space as well. Otherwise you've just done all that work. Yeah. For nothing, you know, sort of thing. So that's, that's what I would say. I think, um, I would probably add that if you're, so if you've just bought the house and, and you know, you've got to do all of this work to the back of it, to the, to, to the garden, just looking at it, thinking that it's just too much and everything else. I, I, and you, and you may be not too sure what you want to do with it. Just bring it back to basics. Yes. Right. Oh yeah. So yeah. like, yeah. Clear, so just, yeah. So if it's overgrown, just clear it, clear it, clear it, and then just start from scratch. I mean, you, you, mm. know, you can make clever use of your space. You could, you could, you could divide it up into different rooms uh, or different boxes, you know? Yeah. Or, put space dividers in, you know, make it a bit sort of quirky. That way, if you do decide to split the space, you can also split the, the work. So, okay, we'll do the front side of the garden first, mm. and then we'll do the back side, or we'll do around the corner next. Or, and if you break it down into bite-sized sort of chunks, so, right, this weekend I'm going to just uh, line out the new borders, and it's a job done, and it's another one off the list. Whereas, because I think a lot of people go, right, this weekend we need to clear the entire garden and take down all the bushes and paint the fence and dig all the borders, and you get sort of like halfway through on the first day, and you know your your elbows deep in a a pyracanth that you can't get out of the garden. You, I've had enough of this. I don't want to do this anymore. And 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 already, you know, you've bitten off more than you can chew. So I would say, if you're a novice gardener, do it bit by bit by bit and just do little things you can tick off dead quick that will help you get through it sort of quicker. And then sort of you, and then you'll get to the bigger jobs. You do that. And the sense of achievement will be even more because you're like, I've just done all of that. Sort of yeah. That. So, I think it's probably a key thing to just don't, um, don't, if you're, if you're going to focus on one area as well, don't get distracted. Cause I'm sure even in and out in a house, you probably start painting the doors and then you'd think, Oh, I'll half finish that. Don't like doing that anymore. Now I'll go and do something else. Oh, yeah. And, and it, I'm probably thinking that that's the same in a garden. It can, yeah, it's, it's hard work. Yep. So you move on to something else, right? Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I've had customers before that have started to clear, uh, I don't know, an, an overgrown weeded border, like, and it's really overgrown. They started it. They started it two years ago and they left it. And then they came back to it and then they left it again because the borders needed planting and that was far nice. That was easier and it was nicer to do. And it was, you know, oh, look at this lovely border I've just planted. And so the same as you say, yes, it is easy to get distracted. But if you've started a job that's a difficult one to mm-hmm. see through to the end because there's nothing worse than getting to like two, like I say, this person was two years down the line before they, rang me and asked me to come down and clear it for them because they'd just done it a little bit and it grown back even more Then they'd done it a little bit then it grown back even more and it was like i can't do this now so i need yeah. someone else to do it for me you know because the thing with gardening as well is if you cut stuff back but you don't remove it it will come back stronger and bigger and the more you do that 
the bigger the job will be at the end. So, right. you know, sort of almost reward yourself if you really want to go and put this plant, this rose border that you've got planned. That's a reward for getting rid of this entire yeah. fence of ivy that's going to be, sure. it's going to stink and you're going to get hot and bothered and stressed and annoyed. But once you've got <laughs> got rid of it, you've got rid of it, you know, and, and then you can move on to the nicer things. But I would I would definitely say if you find yourself distracted, take a step away from it and then come back to it in an hour or so and just <clears> crack on and get it done, I would say. You mentioned about, like, people can go and get inspiration. They can go and uh, look at other people's gardens. Um, mention that again, the... The, the National Garden Scheme. It's the called National the Garden Scheme. Yeah, that basically, okay. if you if you just Google that, um, yeah. you can find all the gardens that will be open to the public. Um, right. You can just, I, think, I think like some places you just put a pound in a box. Okay. And you, you just, it would literally be like, it could be someone on your street opens oh. their, their fantastic garden to the National Garden Scheme and you can just That's walk around nice. it and you can see how they've used their space. Especially I feel for people that live in like London. It, London is the big one that, that, that people struggle with, but courtyard gardens, small mm. space. And if you, if you, if you watch a lot of like gardening programs as well, there are people that have made such fantastic use of the space and completely transformed it that mm. you would be like, Oh, okay. But they do it in such clever ways. Like if you have a yard garden and it's all concrete, pots, big pots, big plants, yeah. pots. Okay. That would, that's a great way to green up the space without having to excavate, um, and dig sure. out, raise border, you know, raise borders around the edge of the garden as well. You know, you can just put, raise it up three or four feet and then just put sort of soil in, on it on a concrete base and then just plant in that. And you're still greening up the area without, you know, having to do too much costly work because I mean, imagine moving a concrete a concrete floor from any yard is going to be very expensive, especially, especially in London, you know, yeah, of course, cleverly use your space and green it up. You can, you can sort of enjoy it, but if you get, yeah, inspiration from the national garden scheme programs, um, things like big dreams, small spaces is a good one that Monty Don did. That's that focuses on people that have got very small gardens and how they dream, big dream and small space, big dream, small spaces. Yeah. That's, that's um, a great program to watch if you've got a small garden, because the inspiration you can get from that and seeing how one, how people use this space, but two, how Monty Don shows you to, to, to like draw your eye around the space to make it seem bigger. It, it's, it's really good. So you can get your inspiration from there and also books. You know, if you go to Waterstones and you go to the gardening section or even online, you will find thousands of books, so many books on gardening, how to use your space, inspiration, you know, even if it's yeah. Pinterest is a great one. Pinterest. Yeah, it's the same with homes. <laughs> oh, but, but even for gardens, you know, I, I use that. So if I'm, yeah, I've designed a couple of gardens where I've looked at that and gone struggling for inspiration here. So I'm just going to look at some, this is the style of the garden. So I'm just going to look at this sort. And you just scroll through it. And then all of a sudden you're starting to get all this wealth, these pictures and these, these great ideas into your mind. You're like, right. Okay. Now I've got the inspiration I need to sort of move forward, you know, and, mm. and do it from there. What if someone like, um, it, if someone is doing it on a budget, but they want to be a bit more creative, they want to give this, like they really want to see what it's going to look like before attempting it. Is there some kind of like 
app or something you can download to have a go at sketching something out, like sketching your own garden out or anything like that? Yeah, I, I believe you can use uh, SketchUp, I think, is, is okay. something you can use for free. I've always sort of hand-drawn my stuff down, so I sort of okay. never really done the, the apps thing. But I think there's one called SketchUp you can use, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, you can sort of do a 3D design on there. Um a lot of the gardens stuff that is free, I will say, is sort of 2D and aerial view, though. That, that right. is. So to get a 3D sort of image, you will, you, you're probably going to have to pay for, for your software, which is quite expensive. But most of the stuff you can use online for free is sort of aerial 2D flat. So you can get sort of an idea of how you want it to look and how you want yeah. it to be. Um, space planning. So like planning. Work it, yeah, working it all out. Okay. Yeah. Yes, so that's that's what I would say you could use off there so on on online. So, complete novice, never done gardening before. Who? What would you need? Well, like, what are the top? I don't know, five or ten tools that you would need with you. Okay, so I would say that every gardener needs a good pair of secateurs. They are like the the go to for everything. You know, chopping, pruning. Always, always, always buy a good pair of secateurs, and they'll never ever let you down. And then you, you know, you've got you've got your standard. You shoot your fork, board, board a spade, um, hand hand trowel, hand fork. I'd probably say like maybe those four, uh, and a, and a border rake, maybe five tools to start off with. And then, okay. as your garden develops, and as your plant, and and as you sort of grow in your knowledge and not every garden is the same. So some, some gardens may require different jobs to others. So you may find that rather than going out and buying what you think you need and um, I'm buying loads of tools over the years, you may just need specific tools or maybe a specialist tool or maybe like a, 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 a long, a long pruner. So you may need to go to the garden center buy yourself a pruner where you can prune a 10 foot tree in your garden. Not everybody, yeah. needs that, you know, so I would say start off with the basics, the spade, the fork, the hand trowel, the hand fork, um, and the, the, the border rake and just go from secateurs. Secateurs, of course. Yeah. And that, that's, I'd say just go from there. That's your basic kit for what you need to start off with. What's a, what's a good set of secateurs? Like how much would you need to be spending? <laughs> Where, you know, how long's a piece of string, I guess? How long is a piece of string? You know, professionally, I'd say if you're using them every day, you're looking at 80 pounds upwards. Okay. But they are, that's top of the line. Okay. Like, really most stuff. I'd say 30, 30 pounds is, is, is a good price for a set of secateurs. I mean, you could buy them for 10 pounds. It, I think it all depends on how often you use them, what you use them sure. for, how much you take care of them as well. If you clean them, regularly sharpen them and oil them, you're fine. But if you're like chucking it in the ground, you know, you're just putting it back in, in your holster, you're cutting stuff with it, they're gritted up, they're messed up, you're going to start, they're going to go blunt, they'll start seizing up on you and stuff like that. So again, you can you, you can spend anything, but it's down to how much you sort of care for them and also yeah. what you're using for. If you buy a £10 pair of secateurs and try and chop a branch off a tree with it, they're going to break. Okay. Okay. So it's all about what you use them for as well. I would say I could I could talk I could talk to you for ages, but <laughs> and there, there's so much. I think we need to have you back on again. Yeah. Um, but when we're when we're coming into more of an autumn, mm. uh, because then we can start talking about 
uh, you know, applying lighting to your, to your garden yes. and being a bit more extravagant. So, yeah, um, so what you can do around autumn time as well for your garden yeah. and how we can make winter a bit more enjoyable in the garden with using sort of color and plants and things like that. That would be. And how, how you can prepare like for the winter in terms yeah. of protection yeah. for, for what you've grown, I guess, throughout the, throughout that year. Also, okay. the garden look nice in winter as well. That's always a good thing to do. So at least you can enjoy it through the window if you're not yeah. outside at least. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. It's been lovely speaking with you and, um, yeah, we'll definitely bring you back on. Um, at the, like where can people find you if they wanted to ask you a question? Where can they find you? So Glasshouse Florals would be the uh, Instagram that I'm using now, but I'm always, always, so yeah, Glasshouse Florals, or if you type in Matt Payne on on Facebook, uh, it's P-A-I-N, drop me a message. I'm always, always happy to talk about gardening. My advice and knowledge is free. If you've got any questions, just, yeah, just message me, send me photos. Amazing. I love, I just, I love talking about gardening and teaching people about gardening. So I'll always, and I feel advice should always be free. So if you've got any problems, just, yeah, drop me a line and, and we can talk about whatever. Fantastic. Good. Um, it's been nice to have you part of the Property Renovation Podcast and um, we'll, we'll bring you back on soon. Perfect. Thanks very much. Yeah, cheers.